All right. We're in John chapter 2, verse 28. John chapter 2, verse 28 is where we'll be starting tonight. First John, my apologies. First John chapter 2, verse 28. He's the spitting image of his father. We've heard that said uh, many times, a phrase I've heard very often. Uh, and the more I'm around my little nephew, uh, the more I see it. Uh, the other day, my brother was uh, kind of complaining about how he had to keep his tools uh, up high and kind of locked away um, because his son likes to take them out and bury them in the yard. And uh, <laughs> I said, at least he doesn't shove them into exhaust pipes uh, like someone else I know. And, and my brother looked at me kind of funny, and, and I realized that this had already happened. <laughs> his son had already done that, and so I just started chuckling and, and uh, giving him a hard time. But in the section that we're studying tonight, John is continuing to help us see the difference between authentic Christians and false believers. He's already presented the idea of obedience that we looked at in session two, uh, but now he's circling back around to this idea, and he goes into a little bit greater detail uh, with it. And so John is saying that we need to be the spitting image of our Heavenly Father as we are sanctified by the power of the Spirit in the process of becoming like Christ. So the first thing that I want us to see tonight as we're looking at this is that we are to be ready for his coming. We need to be ready for his coming. Let's let's read in verse 28 and we'll read through uh, verse 3. So now little children remain in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So notice that John says we need to abide in Christ. We need to abide in him. He says, so now little children remain in him. Or other versions say abide in him. Uh, John in the Greek uses the word menete, uh, which is a word that means that you abide or you remain or even you dwell. And so the idea is that you are remaining with God, you're dwelling with Christ, and that is evidence that salvation has already taken place in your life. The evidence of salvation is a, is a continuance of service to him and in his teaching. The abiding believer is the only truly legitimate believer. Uh, both believing and remaining in Christ are addressed as the issue of genuine salvation. So whenever John refers to this, this minnow, uh, this uh, minete is, is the, the word that means that you go, uh, that you abide, uh, but the, this minnow, this abiding in Christ, is referring to a perseverance in the faith of salvation, and that's the evidence of being a true believer. So we notice that he says, when he appears... When he appears, 
He says, Now little children will remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Uh, and this is referring specifically to, to the rapture uh, and to the gathering of the church at the end of times when Christ comes back and, he's, and he calls us. Uh, Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place, Death has been swallowed up in victory. And then following this event will come the judgment of Christ, which Paul also wrote about in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. So don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. And then praise will come to each one from God. He also wrote in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to God. <clears throat> For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And this is the purifying hope of every Christian. John is, John is using this purifying hope to elaborate on, on the moral test of love and obedience that we looked at in session two. The, the hope of Christ's return has this sanctifying effect on the Christian's moral behavior. In, in anticipation of Christ's return and the, and the reward that he brings uh, with that, a genuine Christian walks in holiness of his life or her life. And those who do not manifest such a behavior manifest an unsaved life. Notice John says that we have confidence at his coming. We can live in confidence of his coming because Scripture promises to us. <clears throat> Sorry, I lost where I was there. Because Scripture promises to us, but what John is saying here is that we can have confidence at his coming. When he comes, when he is here, we can have confidence. Remember, one of John's primary aims is to combat false teachers who are corrupting the fundamentals of our faith. And so John is teaching that genuine believers will practice righteousness and love toward fellow believers. And so John is concerned that Christians know how to tell the true from the false, how to tell the genuine from the artificial. And so he's presenting this evidence of all true Christians against a fake Christian. He says that a true Christian has confidence because they will be blameless in holiness based on their abiding in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. He also wrote in Ephesians, He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. And so therefore we are to reflect the nature of the Savior. 
We're to reflect the nature of our Savior. And so John moves the conversation to focus a bit on the, on the nature of Christ. And the idea is that Christians should, should exhibit this nature is made plain. John says that Christ is righteous, and so therefore we should be righteous. The hope of Christ's return not only sustains our faith, but it makes righteousness a habit for those of us who are his people. John makes it clear that this righteousness is also paired with the love that God has given to us. Look what it says. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. As Christians, we, we reflect the loving righteousness of God. And so we should look weird to the world. And so the real aliens aren't extraterrestrials. It's us. It's those of us who, who are Christians. Genuine Christians should look strange to the world. We should be, be different. We, we've, we've been born again. We've been given a new nature, and it's not of an earthly origin, but it's of a heavenly origin. And so Christians should display a nature and a lifestyle like that of our Savior and like that of our Heavenly Father. And so this nature is totally foreign and, and even otherworldly to those that are unsaved. Now this is not to say that we will be perfect immediately by any means. Uh, but the child of God lives in the tension of what Christ has already accomplished by his death and his resurrection and the time of waiting for what he will fulfill at the time of his second return. And so everyone who exercises genuine saving faith becomes a child of God at the moment they believe in Christ. John wrote uh, in his gospel, verse, chapter 1, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. Likewise, Paul wrote in Romans, Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Yet that truly heavenly, divine life uh, in, that, in each of us, in each believer, in, in each person, will not be revealed completely until the time Jesus returns. And so when Christ does return, he will conform every believer to his nature. The glorious nature of that conformity defies description, but rest assured, the believers will be made perfect as Christ himself is perfect. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, And having put on the new self, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. So let me make clear, we will still remain creatures. We will still remain humans. We've been created as humans by God. That is not going to change. We're not going to become angels flying around in heaven. We're not working to get our, earn our wings. Uh, and we certainly won't become gods ourselves. Scripture makes that clear. But what we will become is a perfect, polished mirror that perfectly reflects the glory of God to back to Him and to those around us. And as the song says, what a day, glorious day, that will be. 
So let's continue reading in our passage here tonight. Verse 4. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is righteous, I'm sorry, the one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. So we see this idea that we are to be righteous and do not sin. We are to be righteous and do not sin. John says that anyone who has the hope of the return of Jesus should purify themselves just as Christ himself is pure. And so since Christians will one day be like Christ, a desire should be growing within the Christian now to become like Christ now and in this life. And so John makes it clear that the believer does not have a lifestyle of sin. The Greek verb for the word commits that we translate in English, it conveys the idea of making sin a habitual practice. It's a continuing verb. And so it it communicates the idea of a continual habit. And so although Christians, yes, we have a a sin nature, as John has already described all the way back in chapter 1, it it means that Christians still sin, but that's not the, the pattern of a true Christian's life. In fact, John makes it clear in the preceding chapters that when a Christian does sin, that we are to confess our sins and we're to repent of our sins. And that's what draws us as different. And so the, the real idea of what, what John's trying to convey here is this idea of rebellion against God. The lawlessness of sin and living in open rebellion against God. And it is living as if there were no laws or ignoring laws that do exist. And and in our world right now, there is open rebellion taking place. There are people rebelling against those that enforce our laws. And, And some of them, some of those that are protesting are acting as if the law itself does not exist. Or, or they're simply ignoring the law. And, and so they are rioting, rioting and, and they're, they're looting and they're, they're pillaging and, and they're burning businesses down. And, and so while, while a peaceful protest is lawful and in fact is protected by our laws, the acts of these few that are, that are acting against the law is bringing a problem. And so they are living in rebellion to the law of the land. All of us have lived in rebellion. Every single one of us has lived in rebellion against God. In fact, Paul wrote it this way, and he's quoting from the Old Testament. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. We've all 
sinned against God. We've all rebelled against his kingship, against his rulership. We've all said, no, God, I'm the boss. I want to be in charge. But just as a lawless person faces the human judge and faces the earthly penalty, the same is true for all humanity. Every single one of us will face the divine judge and will face the penalty of our rebellion against our king. And that is, the penalty for that is made clear in scripture. It is death. But John reminds us, he reminds the believers that Christ was revealed to take away sin. Christ was revealed to take away sin. See, Jesus was not in rebellion against God. In fact, Jesus was himself God. He is God the Son. But he took on human flesh to live among us as one who was without sin so that he might take away sin. Jesus died so he could sanctify those of us who believe in him. And he makes us holy as he is holy. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so therefore, for us to sin is contrary to Christ's work of breaking the dominion of sin in our lives, in the lives of every believer. So John tells his church members, listen, don't let people deceive you. Verse 7, children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Don't let people deceive you into believing that living in sin is okay. That it's okay for you to continue to tell your lies, yet claim to be a Christian. That it's okay for you to continue to be an, an adulterer, and claim to be a Christian. That it's okay for you to be a homosexual and claim to be a Christian. That it's okay for you to be a thief and claim to be a Christian. That it's okay for you to be a gossip and claim to be a Christian. John says, no, none of that. If you claim to be a Christian, you must be righteous as he is righteous. These ones that are telling you that it's okay to live in sin and claim to be a Christian are not Christians. They're living a lifestyle that is in contrast to the life of Jesus Christ. Those who are born again should reflect the nature of our Savior. We should reflect the nature of the divine Son who was holy, and he calls us to be holy as he is holy. We should behave like him and manifest the power of the Spirit in our lives. Listen to what Paul wrote over in Romans 6. I'm going to go ahead and turn there. If you want to turn there, we're going to read quite a few verses there. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1 says this. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any part of it as sin to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourself to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we are absolute because we are not under the law, but under grace? Absolutely not. Go back with me over to John, first John. He says, The one who does what is right is righteous, just as Christ is righteous. Then he begins to talk about these, these opposing ideas. So he's basically saying, are you going to be a child of God, or are you going to be children of the devil? Are you going to be a child of God, or are you going to be children of the devil? John gives the source of the, of the false teacher's actions here. He says the devil is the one that is feeding you these lies. The, the devil was originally created to be perfect, but later he rebelled against God. And then he was the one who led humanity into rebellion against God. But Christ came to destroy the works of Satan. The devil is still operating today. He's still in force. But he has already lost the battle. He's already been defeated because in Christ we escape the tyranny of the devil. The day is coming when all of Satan's activities, everything that he is doing, all, all the sinful ways that he is leading people, all of that will stop. It will all cease. And he will be cast into a lake of fire for all eternity. John wrote in what he saw in Revelation chapter 20, The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. But John contrasts this. He says, The ones that are born of God are no longer under the power of sin and the devil, for they have been born again. He told Nicodemus back in John chapter 3, Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. We must be born of water and the Spirit. And so when people become true Christians, God makes them new creatures with a new nature. They're no longer under the curse, but are born covered in the blood 
of the Lamb that purifies us from all of our sin. And there's a, there's a permanence. There's a permanence in that birth. It cannot be reversed. Those who are born again are permanently transformed into a new creation. Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. So no longer is the Christian under bondage to a lifestyle of habitual sin, but is instead freed to live a life that is righteous before the Lord. John says the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil is obvious. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God. And he says especially the one who does not love his brother or his sister. But we'll look at that next time.